What's up? My dolls, we've made it. Not only that, but we're keeping the vibrations high for this one, all right? Our winter finale episode. You guys have been rocking with us this season, and what a season it has been. We talked about Black Twitter, reality TV, relationship gold, money, honey, all of it. And today... We're going to get into another M, motherhood, okay? Making babies. Okay, that, that went left, but I meant <laughs> I was like, this, okay. <laughs> but where is this going? <laughs> but this is, you know, January, new year, time to reflect and reevaluate. And I feel like our concept of motherhood and family has changed so much. And it is time for a conversation. I mean, not even having babies because no one's going to me slipping, but when we talk about motherhood, specifically Black motherhood, what comes up, right? What comes up when we talk about our reproductive health, dealing with things like fibroids and PCOS and endometriosis that we know affect us way more? What happens if we're getting ourselves together and holding off on kids for a few? Or if we don't even want to bring kids into this Panda Express in 2022? What happens then? All right. So let's talk about it, mamas, because it is all about that choice. And then we will be bringing on nutritionist and fibroid infertility specialist, Coach Jessie, to answer questions and share her advice because we need that expert opinion, all right? But first and foremost, I'm going to need my unbothered roundtable to sound off for me right here, all right? So look, I know we all love our mamas, no shade, but as we introduce ourselves, who would be your TV movie mom in your head? What's your pick? Maya, I'm going to start with you. Okay, man. <laughs> it's me, your favorite social coordinator here at Unbothered. It's Maya, coming straight from Duval County Stand Up. For me, you just can't tell me Angela Bassett's not my mom. I don't care what anybody says. That's my mother. And if you want to fight about it, let's tussle. Because after she told me I was an Afro queen when she seen me in real life, that was it. It sealed the deal. So she claimed you as her daughter is what you're saying. (laughs) I was working at, you know, the little store where their clothes, the high-end clothes. And she came in, was packing her bags with designer stuff and shopping like a regular person, like no security, no nothing, just living her best life. And I was like, do you need any help? And she was like, oh no, sweetie. First it was the sweetie. Then she was like, oh, okay, Afro queen. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) you could never... You could literally never. <laughs> he said, take me home right now, mom. Exactly. <laughs> if anybody touch her while she in here, it's up. Like, that's my mom. Love it. And she's getting paid, paid, paid her TV dollars right now, okay? So that is a household I would also like to be a part of in general. Okay, Steph, resident vibes queen. How we doing? Who's your mom? Hi, guys. I just want to start by saying that I have a new title. I'm the new deputy director of Enterprise for Unbothered. I always feel like Sydney Shaw and Bron Sugar when she's telling Dre that like, she's the new editor of Double X. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to, you know, allow me to reintroduce myself. But my mom, besides my actual mom, obviously, Tracy Ellis Ross, like hands down. She is just so vibrant and so authentic and so much fun and so silly and so unapologetically herself. And I saw her talk at, um, when was it? CultureCon. 2019. And she gave like the 
best speech just on like self-love and loving herself and not like tying her identity to finding like partnership. So yeah, that's my mama. Mm. Besides my actual mama, because she might listen to this. So I don't want her to feel away. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it, though, honestly, Steph. Like, I could see it. Right? Mm, I got you. <laughs> All right, Kathleen, how are we doing today? Hi, I'm doing good. I am not in the six today. I'm in L.A. So it's your girl, Kathleen. I usually say, come at you from the six, but I'm on the West Coast. And I also have a fancy, shiny new title. I am Deputy Director Global of Unbothered. Worldwide. That feels good to say. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So my TV mom gives me similar vibes to my real-life mom. It is OG Aunt Viv. I have talked on this show before about how much I love OG Aunt Viv. And my mom actually kind of looks more like second Aunt Viv. But in spirit, she's got the, like, toughness the education-only, education-firstness of OG Aunt Viv. So, yeah, they always have that, they have that same spirit for me. And then I also have talked about how much I love the Pearsons, uh, the Black Pearsons, let me correct myself, uh, on This Is Us. <laughs> so Beth Pearson, that's my mom. I call Randall and Beth my mom and dad all the time. Those are my parents. I love them so much. <laughs> Those are my parents. Alrighty. Okay. I love this. I'm Chelsea Sanders, your VP here at Unbothered. And my mom, when we first started talking about this, I was like, I, the first person that came to my mind is not like a black mom and she's also not a real person. Uh, but that doesn't matter. She's literally lines. <laughs> but it would be Linda Belcher from Bob's Burgers. I love her so much. Shout out to that amazing, hilarious show. She's absurd. She doesn't care about having to work. She'll bring Break out into song, which you know I do all day, so we can harmonize like all the time. And she's just so fun and chill. And I feel like she has getaway driver energy. And that is like my favorite type of energy. And I feel like having a mom who's just like asks no questions and says, Yeah, get in the back and let's drive, like that's a real mom to me. <laughs> So we we must protect Linda at all costs. When Chels first said that, I like I died because it's perfect. It's so perfect. <laughs> it is so perfect. And again, if you haven't watched this show, please do. It is so good. Okay, good. All right. I feel like interesting because we all again have like different answers, right? But like similarly, I think some of the things that are coming up for us are like security, right? Like energy and have it feeling like safe. And so I think Steph, you said Tracy. Was your mom a rainbow, a la blackish, or what did motherhood sort of look like for you growing up? Yeah, my mom, she wasn't a rainbow, but she definitely advocated for me being my own person and doing the things that felt authentic to me and just wanted to see me flourish in that way. But to take it back, back in time, like many Black moms, my mom was a single mom. She raised me on her own. My mama and my dad, they divorced when I was one. Then we moved from Maryland, when I, where I was born, down to West Palm Beach, Florida. And so I was raised in my grandfather's home. And when I was younger, at that time, I really just saw my mom as my light, my joy. Like she always found a way with the resources that she did have. And I think I also especially... Coming into adulthood, I witnessed her kind of put a lot of energy into breaking some of those generational cycles and kind of coming out of the ways that she was raised by her parents, my grandparents. And so 
yeah, I think that's also where her wanting me to be my own person came from and really just kind of informs the type of mom that I want to be. I think that motherhood is about being a nurturer and being a provider, but it's also about to the point of just breaking those generational curses, just allowing yourself to be vulnerable and admit when you're not always right and be open to the changes that come along with that. So, mm. I love also how you're just like, shout out to Steph's mom, number one. Just also harkening back to sort of her breaking some of those generational curses, right? And some of that like generational trauma that we redo, it seems to be, especially with Black women. And so I love that idea of your mom being able to like step outside of herself, you said, like you said, and be open and allow that to be like, okay, this is a cycle, but maybe I am not going to participate in it. As you're speaking, Chelsea, I'm thinking of something that has always scared me about motherhood, and that's how cyclical it is. You know, it's so Mm. much about what your mother was like and what her mother was like and talking about those generational curses and traumas that get passed down. And so when I think of my mom and what motherhood meant to me when I was growing up, you know, my mom did the best that she could while she was working a lot. Both my parents worked a lot. And the words that I would use to describe my mom would be, you know, strength, resilience, perseverance, sacrifice. Mm. And those aren't necessarily words that I would want my potential children to describe me as. I think really our generation, as well as myself, wants motherhood to be a lot more soft and joyful and, you know, not ruling with an iron fist. And some of the words that that Steph used are like joy and light. Like, I don't want it to be all about strength and sacrifice. And I think if that's all my child saw me being, that I would be a little bit disappointed in myself because I wouldn't be breaking that generational curses, we're calling it. And that's not to say that I, I I appreciated my mom's strength and her resilience, but I want my kids to be able to see, you know, the light in my life a little bit more. And I would want to model that for them. And I think thinking about motherhood in that way is actually why I changed my mind from not wanting kids to being open to having them of my own. When the question was initially posed, I thought to myself, well, how would I be as a mother? But I then had to rethink it because that would obviously be influenced, you know, by how I was mothered. And my mother, she was very strong and she was very resilient and like all the things you were saying. But I saw that wear on her and I saw that change who she was as a person. And my mom, in my mind, she will always be the number one mom. But I don't think that was fair for her. I don't think that was fair to bring a life into this world, which should be an added experience, which should be a joyous experience and have that kind of strip away at you because you're trying to, you know, raise and support this being so that they can become the best person they can. I don't think that was fair to have such high expectations of her when that wasn't expected of, you know, her partner. And hopefully when I one day do become a mother, leave some in for me, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm serious. Leave some for me, child. Don't don't have babies with them all. Uh, no, they're they're in the streets. Just that's <laughs> well, get, well, at least get on the sidewalk so I can find you, Jesus. Oh no, you know? <laughs> <laughs> something help. So you know, 
I really, for me, my mission this year is to throw that strong word back into 2021 because mm. I don't want to refer to myself as strong. Like, I know I can do certain things, but if there's somebody who's there who can come in and do them adequately and I don't have to do them, I'm going to hand that off. You know, I can be resilient. I don't want to always have to be strong. And I don't want to be a sponsor for struggle, specifically in Black women, because I feel like that's the standard of success. How much have you struggled? Mm. Okay, Mm -hmm. if you struggle this much, you can't really be that successful. If you struggle this much, oh, you can have all the success in the world. I don't really think that's fair. And it's the same thing with mothers, you know. If as a mother, y'all were on food stamps, this, that, and the third, it was really hard, and then your child turns out to be something really great. It's like this whole aspirational story. But if you're Black and you were kind of well-off and you had good education and you're from the suburbs, it's like, ah, eh. That's cute. Where's where's the pain? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I don't really think that's fair. Yeah. One, thank you for sharing. And two, what you're saying about, you know, struggle being like the blueprint. This is so timely because I'm actually rereading Bell Hook's Salvation. And I'm on the chapter where she talks about how Black women, particularly like Black matriarchs, are expected to sacrifice to the point where they're not taking care of themselves and they're suffering and they're dying early, like literally sacrificing their lives. And so this also makes me think about the whole like remothering conversation and what that looks like in terms of reframing motherhood as something to enjoy where you can care for others but not lose yourself while also, as you've been saying, breaking through those cycles, but also thinking about Gentle parenting, right? Because that's another thing that people are talking a lot about. We are learning how to parent our kids in a more gentle manner, but like, how can we also gently reparent ourselves and like change how we view motherhood? I think it's so interesting, Steph, because Bell Hooks, RIP, wrote that book decades ago. Yeah. Decades ago, but we're still having this conversation right now, right? About how much struggle has to be a part of being a parent and being a Black mother because it seems like the struggle is written into the definition. And I think even a book by Bell or like, you know, we were talking in our Slack last week about that TikTok from Vanessa who are on our team shared of this Black woman who shared on TikTok her nightly routine and she just had a baby and Part of that routine is giving that baby to her doula so she can have a bath, so she can pour a glass of wine, so she can do what she needs to do, talk to her friends, talk to her husband, really like recalibrate so she's ready for that next day to wake up and be a mom again. And there was all this backlash about people saying, why do you have a doula? You're not taking care of your kids. You're not a good mother. No, she was taking time for herself so that she could be a good mother when she woke up. And I think there is this like ingrained idea of being a Black mother means you have to give up every single part of yourself. Your identity is a mother. And I think for me, growing up, I didn't realize that my mom had an identity outside of being a mother. Mm. And it took me a really long time. I'm, I'm still learning it, honestly, in my adulthood. And reconciling the fact that my mother is a human being. (laughs) And that has been one of the hardest lessons for me when I think about motherhood and what I think about what it might mean for me is understanding that she is a human being. So that means she is fallible. She's not always right, but she loves me and is always going to be there for me, right? And I feel like 
it's important for us to even just like recognize that because definitely the whole world does not see us as humans and does not see us as people. And I think for us to even see each other and ourselves as people and as humans first, before we even dive into motherhood is something that we need to be talking about more, right? Because now motherhood looks a lot different. In 2022, do we want kids? Do we want to bring them into, again, like I said, this Panda Express? It's hard enough being a human being by ourselves in 2022. I'm going to bring on someone who doesn't even pay rent? (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Just like make it make sense right now. We've talked about this a little bit. I'm 33. I'm thinking about if I do want to become a mother, that means I've got to get on it. You know, that means I've really got to take steps to make that a reality. (laughs) (laughs) It's also just crazy to think that like, what is it like 36, 37? If you, if, if you get pregnant, then it's a geriatric pregnancy. I don't know. That's wild to me. I'm about to be 32 in a few weeks, which is also crazy. And, um, (laughs) yes, Aquarius gang gang. I was having a conversation with my mom and we're like chatting or whatever. And she just randomly goes like, okay, I have a question for you and it's going to be weird, but you know, I've just, I've just been thinking about it. And I was like, okay. And she was like, would you consider freezing your eggs? Cause she knows that at one point I was really considering having kids in a family and, you know, I'm not dating anybody right now or in a pandemic. So like, you know, honest question, what's it look like? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I'm thinking about what would it even be like to have a kid? Like I almost did have a child when I was 24 and I'm like, man, I would have had like a seven or eight year old right now. What would that have been like? Like we're in a whole panorama. Like, I don't know. And then, you know, the political climate, I just, this world is crazy. And I just, I don't know if I even feel as enthusiastic as I once did about having a kid, like right now, do I really want to bring a child into this world as it is right now? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You guys are mentioning your age. I don't even think it's an age thing. I just think it's the time that we're in because it's girls my age and younger who are like, yeah, I've decided I'm not having kids. And they're mm. like 18, 21 and stuff like that. And people, you know, specifically their family is like, how can you not want to have kids? That's a selfish decision. That's weird. Never say that. And it's just like, I've seen my mother go through all of these stressful things to take care of me. I never want to be that person. And I think that's where it kind of comes from. And on top of that, the area we're in in life, the space we're in, it's very hard to find a partner who's willing to go through that with you. Because life is hard enough by yourself. You bring a person into the world, having to be responsible for that person and being by yourself while you do it. No, ma'am. I'm not doing that. Don't sign me up for that. So women are really weighing their options. Okay, if I get somebody who's decent, not not overqualifying, but barely qualifying, you know what I'm saying? And then we get together, we have a baby. What's the likelihood that when he or when it gets hard, he or she might leave? Now I'm doing this alone. I didn't prepare to do this by myself. And people are just not here for it. They're ready to live their lives. They've been in a panorama for three years. And they're like, look, I might die tomorrow. So love you, but fuck these kids. (laughs) I I mean, I think you (laughs) touched on a lot of things because, you know, you said it's not an age thing, but when we're having this conversation, we have to talk about age. And this is the only time on this podcast I am going to admit that I am not 25. Redacted. (laughs) My birthday is this month. (laughs) Redacted. I'm not going to say what my actual age is, but 
That's none of their business. Mm-hmm. That's, that's none of y'all business. So this is anecdotal, though, from my friend group. There are two camps when it comes to motherhood. There's the definitive, you know, fuck them kids, as Maya said. Like, I'm not having kids because of all of the things that we've mentioned, that in 2022, when the world is what it is, when the climate is what it is, I think people are choosing not to have kids. And they're also redefining what love looks like, what partnership mm-hmm. looks like, and wanting to be in community with people you know, choosing to be an auntie first, choosing not to live this very traditional familial structure that we've seen. And then the other camp, I've had like a pit in my stomach and I'm like sweating y'all mm-hmm. <laughs> to talk about this. But the other camp are the, are the people who are trying so hard to become moms mm-hmm. and can't because of fertility issues. And it, this has impacted some of my best friends. It's impacted me. And I just don't think there's enough conversation happening with Black women and with fertility. Mm. You know, there's this bigger conversation we should be having about infertility and miscarriages. And what happens when, you know, as you get older, you're trying to have kids and your body is not working the way you want it to work. But those conversations, you know, they don't include us. When you are looking online for information about infertility, it is so white. And then when you think of how it does impact us as Black women, and you think of so many of the stereotypes that we're seen and that we're faced with as Black women, and that we've been taught through white supremacy, through slavery, it's that our bodies are built to give birth. Mm. And that giving birth is our worth and our purpose. You know, there were enslaved women who were literally called breeders because that's what they were built to do. And so now, you know, if you are a Black woman faced with infertility issues and your body is blocking you from giving birth for whatever reason, you feel like you're not living up to being a Black woman. You feel like you're not worthy. But for fertility conversations need to include us more, is my point. And this view of us just being vessels for babies needs to change. Yes to everything you just said, Kathleen. Thank you for just being so open and vulnerable with these this conversation because it's not easy, right? And I think one of the things that we hit up against and we, we talked a little bit about in our last episode about bodies is that, again, we're, we're very rarely as Black women seen as anything besides a vessel, right? Whether that's for men, for children, for the world, very rarely do we get to stand as ourselves. And that I feel like is so incredibly dehumanizing, right? When you're even talking about seeing fertility conversations online and it's all white people and there's no even representation of us and what we're going through. And again, like the specific things that affect our fertility, right? I mentioned them at the top of this episode, but PCOS, you know, fibroids. I have endometriosis and I've been told that it will be very difficult for me to conceive naturally. Those are the things that... I didn't even have the words to describe what was going on with my body six years ago, you know, when I was having these terrible cramps. And if I had known five or six years ago that this was the case, I might have moved differently. You know, I might have changed the way that I structured my life. But I think a lot of this is because we don't show up in these conversations. We're not represented and people aren't talking to us. So we don't know what we don't know when it comes to fertility. And so I just, I think this is such an important conversation to be having and to be talking about not only 
either dealing with fertility issues or choosing not to have kids or deciding, like you said, Kathleen, you're an auntie. I'm an auntie too. I love being an auntie, right? We've talked about this concept of other mothers, right? And Black women who, even if they didn't have their own kids, they helped raise you. Or, you know, they were such big figures, whether it was your grandma or your auntie. We had a whole, like, tribe of Black mothers raising us. Because I'll tell you, like, I'm doing some mothering. On my nieces and nephews, I'll tell you that. Like, I had them over the break for four days. And, like, you couldn't tell me that if they didn't listen to me, I wouldn't, like, look at them sideways like my mom used to, you know? And, like, (laughs) we need more room for that and more room for that visibility and those conversations because they're real and they matter. Yeah, Chelsea, I mean, I think that talking about the different ways you can be a mother and all of those different conversations that we should be included in is so important because, you know, for so long— I thought I was just going to be an auntie. That is my favorite job I have in this world. I put a lot of emphasis in my work and the jobs that I have, but my number one favorite job I have is being an auntie to my four nieces and nephews. And I thought, and I think in the conversation about motherhood and struggle, I really thought that I was going to have to give up too much of myself and that becoming a mom would make me lesser in all of the things that define me. You know, I would be lesser in my job. I would be lesser in being an auntie, a sister, a friend, a wife, all of those things that I take a lot of pride in. And I don't think until I was like faced with this idea of becoming a mom and talking to my girlfriends and trying to redefine it for myself I changed what it could be and trying to break that like generational cycle. And I think I'm still struggling with that and the idea of of this timeline idea and and feeling like I'm running out of time. Steph mentioned that geriatric pregnancy. I'm still a few years out from that, but it's happening. And so many women feel like they are running out of time. And biologically, we are. Hmm. And that is so frustrating. This fact that like as soon as you hit 30, that the clock starts ticking and it gives you this timeline that men don't have. Yes. I think also like one of the things that you just mentioned that made me think about like, not to make this uh, an over 30 podcast, but let's just have (laughs) your body also starts telling you, you want a baby, you want a baby, you want a baby. It'll start like releasing actual like hormones, like more oxytocin, which is the like post-sex, like cuddling energy that like gets released in your brain. You get more of that gets released in your brain after 30 that pushes those biological impulses. So I can be walking down the street and in my mind thinking, okay, I have time to plan this out. I might want to freeze my eggs or I might want to have these broader fertility conversations. And then I'll see a baby in a stroller and I'll almost steal it. Like literally, I'll be like, (laughs) (laughs) literally, I'll be like, I don't know what to do. Like I have to have this little baby right now. And so it's also like your brain telling you one thing and your body telling you another, right? As you age. And so I think think for me, one of the things that I've been trying to do to sort of lessen that anxiety is really zero in on like what my priority is. Maya, Mm -hmm. you talked a little bit about like having a partner and being nervous about bringing a child into this world without a partner. And I think for me, I've come to an understanding that I don't really need a partner to have a baby. For me, I really think that I'm meant to be a mother. And so I'm fine at this stage in my life to prioritize that 
over a partner. So that's why I am going through the process of freezing my eggs and thinking about what it would mean to be a, a single mother or, again, a, a, re, a different version of myself, to your point, Steph, about reparenting. Maybe it will look different than I thought it would, but I'm willing to let go of some of the things that I thought would happen with motherhood to really prioritize the things that I want and love and want to make sure are in my life in the future. Yeah. See, I love that for you. You like, hey, even if a man ain't here, these kids, yeah, they coming. Literally, yeah. I, I just need the material. You know? Yeah. I just need the like, genetic mm. material. Okay? Like, that's it. So... For me, and I think it's because of how I was raised, my parents weren't together. I really just want that family unit. Not to say, you know, I can't control what happens in the future, like none of us can, but I really want that family unit and my child to have just that community. I think they're going to have a community regardless, but it would be important to me that they had like a traditional, I'm using air quotes because traditional is different for everybody, sense of the word family with me, their dad, and them and their brothers and sisters. I want that person there because I feel like raising a child takes a toll on you in a lot of ways that you're going to need somebody to talk to about. And when you're dealing with that child while going through your own personal emotions, that can really wear and tear on you. And in this new light of I'm the queen, I'm not about to set myself up for like, the foolishness. And that's not to say, like I said before, he won't leave, but it's just to ensure that I've done everything I can in the situation to make sure that the way I think my best, my child will best come out will come out. So they have some people around them that love them, me, their father. Hopefully he got some brothers and sisters because I want them to have aunties and uncles, a few cousins running around. I just want them to have that community and their chance to actually experience other people. Because while I know I'm going to be an influence to my child, I won't be the only influence. Speaking of community, I, I feel like that's also a really good point because like I was saying, that idea of like having other mothers is really important and central to Black motherhood. And I feel like I'm very privileged to have a community of people like my sister, my aunts, my cousins, who will support me if I do decide that I do want to, you know, take that journey and become a single mother, right? Like, I wouldn't be raising my child with anyone, but I'd have a community around me to support this child's growth. And I feel like that's something that knowing that makes me feel comfortable moving forward without a partner. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. I feel like it's a part of redefining what family is and determining the community that you want to raise your child. And I think as long as there's love there and, you know, structure that, you know, have your baby. I feel like a lot of times people are just, if they're not policing Black women's bodies, they're trying to tell other people how to raise the kid and what structure in which the kid should grow up in. But it's just like, you know, normalize different family structures. Mind your, and mind your business. Yeah, it's no one's business for sure. And I think we also, when we're talking about this, we have to bring up those people who don't have biological mothers in the traditional sense or who don't have a great relationship with their mothers, which is why, you know, we have to recognize those different family structures. And sometimes the traditional structure is fucked up, you know, and glorifying that traditional structure may make people feel guilty if they don't have it. You know, we see this on, on Mother's Day every year. Your entire feed is like glorifying this very specific, very white, very hetero definition of motherhood. And I think, yeah, we need to talk more about the people who don't talk to their moms or maybe their mother was a bad mom. 
You know, we talk about men who leave their families all the time. And if a woman does it, it's just, a, it's not even a thing we talk about. And there's not as much grace given to women about that pressure and what can happen. And so we just need to talk about family and family structures in a completely different way that isn't so rigid. To that point of rigidity, I think it's also important that we consider that there are people who want to have kids outside of heteronormative partnerings or marriage. Like, you should be able to come home to your family and say, I'm having a child without them assuming that you're parenting with a cishet man. Because we have so many different birthing options right now. We have, we can do co-parenting, we can do adoption, there's foster care, there's donor insemination, IVF, surrogacy, like so many things. So it just kind of feels like society, particularly the older generation, has some catching up to do in the ways that it defines normal or acceptable birthing and parenting. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, when we're talking about this, the correlation of like, why do gay people get to adopt children? That question like comes up. And I think also, especially in, you know, a lot of homophobic black spaces, I've had that conversation with people, right? Of like, no, I don't want this child going to a gay couple. And it's sort of like, what does that have to do with anything? These are children who would love to be loved no matter what that looks like, right? Like, no matter what. And I think we need to just let go of this idea of what we think is a traditional family structure and just be okay with the fact that if you are open and want to give love to a child, whatever that looks like, you're providing a community of support and a network of people who can help you, do it. Do it. And I feel like that's something that we don't get to talk about a lot because there are so many structures placed on what motherhood looks like. It has to look like X. And that's not really the case. And I think we, especially now when we get into these situations where motherhood is later, it's different, and you can be a mother at 50, like Holly Berry, you know? And I think then we get into this conversation of, is that natural? And it's like, that makes no sense, okay? All of you are acting crazy and anyways. So if someone wants to have a kid at 50, let her have a kid at 50. Nothing we're doing these days is natural. Like, what? why is it such an issue for us to be thinking about motherhood differently and opening up opportunities that weren't available to us 10, 20 years ago. And I think when we talk about what's natural and what people pick and choose to accept as natural, first of all, we got to talk about religion because I think so much of that is tied up in, I grew up in the Christian church, so much of that is tied up in Christianity. But you're right, you know, like, People will be getting Botox fillers and all of that, but they want to talk to me about IVF and what's natural. Okay. And then I also think, you know, the stigma around adoption, like you're talking about, Chelsea, the adoption conversation, again, is very white-dominated. It's also very straight-dominated. And I think, when, you know, when we hear about adoptions, we hear about this, like, white picket fence hetero family who adopts a black baby or an Asian baby, and it's seen as this, like, beautiful white savior complex thing. And we're not talking about, you know, people in the black community who have been raising kids who may not be their biological children from time. You know, my godmother— raised me. My mom always jokes about this, like that I cried too much. And my godmother like just took me because my mom was like, yeah, I don't want to deal with her. My mom is that mom. (laughs) And, you know, my grandmother raised her whole village in Jamaica. This is a black thing. Like we raise each other's children. We 
do that that village thing. And I think that when we talk about adoption and we talk about raising children, these are the conversations we should be having. And I think that they take away a lot of the shame and the stigma surrounding motherhood if we think of family in a different way. So if everyone else can do it, like, why not, right? Like, why not? I feel like that that really is just like the framework with which we should be thinking about motherhood and parenting moving forward, just like opening that up. Because the more we have these conversations, the more we're able to, again, think of ourselves as human beings and not just vessels and not just like receptacles or breeders, because that's where we get into this when we can talk about it as humans. And so to close this conversation, I'd really, I'd like to ask you guys, what in your mind, whether this is for yourself or just our community in general, what does free motherhood look like to you? I'll start. So for me, and again, for me, as I've shared, I am prioritizing a baby over a partner. That is my choice. That is what, for me, what motherhood looks like. And so free motherhood to me is having that financial freedom to do what I want to do. IVF, And egg freezing costs thousands of dollars, literally. And so in a lot of ways, having the financial freedom to not only potentially bring a child into this world, but also care for them, help them, you know, education, care, medical, just having that financial freedom to do that is something that I really hope is the future of motherhood, because I know in a lot of ways, money really matters when it comes to giving your child what you want and what they need. And it certainly will never, ever, ever trump love, community, and just being there. But having the financial freedom to choose what that looks like and offer those choices to your child is free motherhood to me. Mm, I love that, Chelsea. And I think that as we're talking, I think free motherhood for me also involves so much of sisterhood. There are things that we talked about today that I have not thought about or talked about and allowed myself to think about or talk about. And that sisterhood, being able to lean on other Black women specifically to talk about the things that come with motherhood, whether you have a child or not, is part of free motherhood for me. I also think that for me, and this is me specifically, free motherhood is having a partner who says that they will take on the brunt of the workload that comes with parenting so that I can work. Because being a mother to me also includes me having a career. And I married somebody who, who has made that promise to me. So that is free motherhood for me. And yeah, to go back to community, it's, it's family. That family is the village that will raise your child. And I've always imagined raising a child with my big brothers and their kids and leaning on our community to to raise a child. So yeah, that's free motherhood for me. I love that sisterhood bit. Like, yes, sisterhood, financial freedom, community, supportive partnership. I think also free motherhood, free parenthood. I mean, to my point earlier, it's about being able to be a parent with whoever you want to be a parent with he, she, or they, and not having people, you know, make assumptions about how you're having a child, who you're having a child with, and also not having to worry about those very personal choices being policed, whether it's by society, by government, by family, whoever, just being able to exist in the beauty of parenthood, 
however you choose to show up in it. Freedom for me actually comes with a few boundaries because I do believe there are some family members out there who, you know, they're just not the healthiest people to be around. And I would greatly not appreciate them trying to implement certain thoughts in my child's head to uh, make them feel less about themselves because that's just not the type of household I'm running. I'm very much running a household where I want my kids to have access to um, healthy communication styles, healthy food, mental, physical, all of that. And if that requires me keeping certain family members away, I will definitely do so because I'm the type of mom, as long as you don't come out shooting up schools, we're Gucci. You know what I'm saying? I really want you. The bar? Your bar is too low, I think. I agree. (laughs) What? (laughs) Hey, look, he could be working at McDonald's. I don't care. But you can't never say he was a terrorist. Yeah. (laughs) And what about it? You can't never say he was a terrorist. Yeah, he may work at McDonald's. And that's okay because he but up, but, 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 loving it there. So, yeah. This is the barometer. Got it. So, you know, as long as they have the opportunity to do what they want to do, explore themselves, you know, hey, I'm happy. I love that. Well, part of that. (laughs) I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not wishing anything, but I, I do love this idea. Also, what you're saying, Maya, of just setting boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Like for yourself and what you want. And I think that's really what this conversation is all about, like setting those boundaries and making sure you have the freedom of choice. But just it's so beautiful to also just like hear what free motherhood looks like, because I want that to be a reality. So let's go make that a reality because we're going to be doing that right now with this sisterhood. Hello. And... We've had a great conversation, y'all. All right. What a winter finale. But wait, we're not done yet because you know what it is when you signed up. We got to get to that last don't at me of this season. All right. Now, if you don't know, the don't at me is the part of the discussion that we use to tie a bow on the conversation, give you some food for thought and just some energy to move about your day with. And in case the title wasn't clear, you cannot at us. Okay. Nothing. Nunca, known, nine, no, heart emoji. And to take us home, we're going to have our Dirty South Queen, Maya, tell us a little bit about her thoughts on motherhood. So come on, give me this don't at me, Maya. Hi, it's your fave once again here. Back to let you know, let Black women, Black women in peace. Thank you. In regards to motherhood, we don't really need your opinion. If we ask for your help, we would greatly appreciate it. But other than that, please keep your opinions to yourself because struggle doesn't equal success. Badgering me about my child having Fruit Loops and they're too sugary Mind your business. Let Black women, Black women in peace. And if that involves a little bit of time for myself and I have a doula, I'm going to do that. Okay? So back up. And then if my life projection is for me to be with another woman and we decide to have a baby, we're going to do that as well. And that baby will be loved, taken care of, and cherished. And then if I decide to flip it on you again and decide to break up with her and get archly inseminated and be a single mother, I'm going to do that too. Why? Because that was my choice. And once again, the child will be loved and taken care of, okay? So stop putting Black women against each other when they have different opinions about what motherhood looks like and what it is and what it should and should not be. If I want to be booed up, riched up, Lululemon down with my baby in the top of the line stroller, I can do that. But if I want to be a baby on my hip, baby mama, I'm going to do that too. So let Black women, Black women in peace. 
And y'all already know, y'all better not at me because I'm the number one troll in the world. I will come for you back. Have a nice day. Now that's facts though, because I saw Maya come at somebody in the comments the other day. <laughs> Welcome to season five of the Go Off This podcast brought to you by Target, our destination for celebrating ourselves and our success. This season, we're reminding you what it means to be that girl. Okay, from our style to our space and more, we're investing in our future and using our voices to lead the culture forward. So whether you're building ownership or building community, Target has what you need to celebrate your legacy your way. All right, y'all, I'm really excited for this conversation because not only do we have a guest pulling up to the roundtable, she is an expert in her own right and a survivor of her own infertility health struggles and hurdles. And that is the name of the game this episode. You've seen her all over your social media, working with your faves every day, empowering, educated. She's been on The Breakfast Club. She has her own podcast, Detox Living. She's making her TV debut in the new docuseries, Eggs Over Easy. Please welcome nutritionist and founder of The Detox Now, Coach Jesse. Welcome to Go Off Sis. Man, what a welcome. I'm, t- I'm with Nisi. We got to take you wherever we go. Okay. Like, for real. All right. For okay. real. Okay. You just let me know. You put me on retainer and I'll be there. All right. Girl. Girl. <laughs> I love it. Well, I think, you know, let's just dive right in. I, I mentioned, you know, we just had a really, really lovely conversation about sort of motherhood, Black women in motherhood, mm. uh, fertility. I think a lot of us right now are really reassessing our own fertility and our own position on motherhood. And so one of the things that you do is really empower women to sort of understand their own bodies, right, before they even go on that journey. And I think something that uh, came up was we know that Black women disproportionately are affected by things like fibroids, heart disease, diabetes, endometriosis that affect those things. So for you, where was that sort of entry point where you decided this was what you really wanted to follow and build and grow for this community? That's such a great question. And I love the way you phrased it. You know, my entry point was actually my personal hell. Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) It was my fertility journey. It started with You know, we have the blessing and we have the gift of choosing when we want to build our families. When I look at where we are generationally and how things have developed and evolved, at 26 years old, I got married. I'm 50 now, celebrating 24 years this weekend. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And we decided that we're the generation that. We're not just going to get, you know, have kids right away. We wanted to enjoy marriage. We wanted to enjoy the relationship and then plan. You know, any planners with me? You guys planners, right? I know y'all are because y'all are bosses. So you got to be planners, right? (laughs) Trying. So at 30, we said, all right, this is my time. Let's move this forward. And we started to um, work to conceive. And six months in, we're like, whoa, okay, what's going on? Went to the GYN and she said, whoa, you have blank fibroids. I was like, what? What? What are you, what? What does that mean? Is, can I have kids? Is it, can, are they cancerous? Like tumors? Like what? And fibroids are non-cancerous, 99.9% um, non-cancerous tumors that occur in and around the uterine wall. 
And one of, you know, the symptoms can be infertility, right? It can, it can cause infertility. Of course, heavy bleeding and cramping and things that literally take over your life, mm-hmm. change your quality of life, many other things. But for me, the way it showed up, I wasn't symptomatic in any other way. It was that we were having trouble conceiving. And that precipitated me now actually having my first myomectomy, which is the removal of the fibroids surgically. They were recommending, we're actually talking about 20 years ago at this point, and 21 to be exact. However, one, two, three, four, five years go by, and not only did I not get pregnant, now I found the symptoms of fibroids coming now where I was like, wait, something's wrong. And it turns out the fibroids had come back aggressively. And now it was to the point where I couldn't even walk. You know, mm. and, and the pain was literally shooting up my entire body and I couldn't walk. And I remember this time I said, going to a different doctor because that one, she didn't know what she was talking about. Let's talk about advocacy and choice and making sure that the, the, the physicians that we choose are actually serving us, okay? You better say that, okay, right. go off. That's, that's important <laughs> because that didn't work and you vote with our feet, we vote with our feet, okay? With our finances, with our pockets, mm. we advocate for ourselves. And mm. so I said, I'm gonna find someone who is a fertility specialist and a GYN. And I remember, if I could be vulnerable for a moment here as a, as a woman, I remember, you know, he said, first of all, it was one of the most horrific cases he'd ever seen. He said- wow. They're just everywhere. And um, to be honest, the only way I'm going to be able to do it safely is to cut you open vertically, right? Mm-hmm. So the surgery happens and quote unquote, everything goes well. And I go home and I'm recovering. And 10 days later, I'm not able to keep food down, okay? I am literally, I can't, excuse me, I can't not just keep food down. I can't keep water down. Mm-hmm. So it caused adhesions where it actually knotted up my small intestine. It's called a small bowel obstruction, okay? And this had to be dealt with right away where they tried some intervention where they put me on something called the NG tube. Did anybody know what the NG tube is? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, we don't have no medical background at all. So <laughs> I, I would be, half of the things you said, I'm going to have to look up after this. I'm going to be really honest with you. <laughs> It's in your heart, right? Near your okay. heart? No, no, no. It's actually a tube that I is... Thought, I watched Grey's Anatomy, so I thought I had that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had I that. Kathleen was strong and wrong. She said, it's in the heart. <laughs> the, right. the left ventricle. Yeah, yes, man. Yes, you know, it's all rolled there by the aorta. No. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a tube that actually is, it's about the size of my pinky, and it's used to go up your nose, down. I had to swallow this thing awake, okay? Oh, wow. So because the, the idea was if you allow your digestive system to rest, it can actually repair things that are going wrong in your body. Okay? Mm. Mm. So they did that, but it didn't work. So I go to see the fertility specialist for my follow-up. And he said, okay, so you want to conceive, right? So, well, now there's so much scarring on your fallopian tubes that you're going to have to do IVF. All right? Oh, my gosh. Cha-ching. All right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the only way you're going to conceive. Cha-ching, ching, ching. Yeah, it's it's very expensive and it's it's something people don't talk about. It is cost prohibitive. So now at this point, we're like, okay, but we're in. We're like, you know what? We want to start our family. We want to expand our family, excuse me. And from that point, it really started this journey where I was either after that, after the, the IVF cycle, that first IVF cycle, we got pregnant. 
So I want to I want to um, pause right here for a second, Coach Jesse, because you've just shared so much, and I want to make sure we get into some of these. Even like, you know, we're at point of conception, right? Like before yeah. we even get there, I want to just back up a little bit because sure. this story that you're sharing, I think, is like thank you, number one, for being so vulnerable and just thank sharing you. that. I I think we we talk a lot about the generational and mental trauma of trying to get pregnant, but we often forget the physical physical piece of it. And I think we've talked a lot about how Black women's bodies often aren't their own, especially at the doctor. So this conversation is incredibly important right now. So thank you for even bringing this up. But I want to sort of go back a little bit because I think, you know, you talked a little bit about planning, right? And how we should all sort of have a plan. And so I'm wondering even like before you even get there, if you're not not even sure you want to have kids, right? If you're even thinking about, you know, as you said, waiting. What does that look like to be able to prepare our bodies to have children, you know, just to be running efficiently enough so that we can, if we do so choose, to have kids? Absolutely. I love that because the proactivity of taking responsibility for and really having power of your choice, right? You're saying my body, I want to think about right now what the vision is I have for my life what the vision is I have for my body and say, okay, I need to think about that and consider that now, right? Because typically speaking, the way things worked in the past was, well, it just happened in time. And well, you know, we weren't juggling and really balancing and creating these these amazing careers and all the things that we're doing. And then also, let's talk about the fact that women are dealing with these reproductive issues, especially as Black women disproportionately, because... Even the way that we work in this climate, in this world of being Black in the world, being a Black woman in the world, how the stressors disproportionately affect us to become affected by things like fibroids, like Mm -hmm. PCOS and endometriosis. We have to look at what do we do to prepare is self-care and self-love, right? But what does that look like? That's not just about getting a mani-pedi and, you know, getting a facial. It's also making sure that when we're looking at our hormonal balance, our reproductive care, that we are taking the time to know what's going on and to be educated around what specifically actually fuels our health. Number one is many women don't even realize that their cycle is the fifth and vital sign. There's, of course, your pulse, there's your temperature, there's all these other vital signs, right? But the fifth vital sign that for, as women for us is to look at what is our cycle telling us, right? Mm-hmm. So according to the National Institute of Health, our cycles are literally supposed to be like three to five tablespoons of blood. That, that's what we're supposed to bleed. Three to five tablespoons, no more than that. There's not supposed to be cramping. There's not supposed to be clotting, all this heavy stuff that mm-hmm. we're dealing with. So let's talk about the paradigm and the framework with which we talk because we look at it, what we normalize is what we've seen, which has really been colored by trauma. It's been fed by trauma. And the reason I say this is because the root hormonal imbalance of estrogen dominance that causes all these issues from, you know, the the fibroids to the infertility issues, the hormonal imbalances, it's caused by stress, diet, and chemical pollutants, okay? Stress being the number one. As Black women, we literally fight to be seen, to be heard, to have a seat at the table. So we're always being undermined in terms of understanding that my one-to-one, there's no one-to-one equation. So I say this because what does that mean about your cycle? That means literally 
the stressors that we live with, which, and I say this because radical self-love includes nourishing our bodies with food that actually is healing us. My company is called The Detox Now, and I have a, a, a mission which is called Detox Living, life free of toxic thoughts, people, habits, and foods. Okay? Ooh. All right? Because and you see the foods is last because it's mm-hmm. the toxic thoughts, the people, <laughs> the habits, and then all of that affects the foods. That means all those things affect how our body actually experiences the menstrual cycle, right? And how that actually now will manifest in, into what we like to say the happy period versus the hell period, right? The hell period is what most They're of us hell. deal with. Yeah, okay? I'm like, uh, I never had the happy period. Yeah. We, well, you know Either. what? And when I look at our sisters, it's usually because of where we grow up. Again, I just said it. We are disproportionately affected by the trauma of racism, the stress that comes with that. You come to the table literally thinking about things that white women never have to think about, okay? And Mm -hmm. factoring them and working on them every single day in every scenario. And that Mm -hmm. means that, you know, stress is actually a chemical reaction where cortisol is pumping your body and stress is needed. But when it's radical, meaning when it's, it's irregular, it's too much, your body's constantly in this inflammatory state. You're, you're not building self-care time into your lifestyle, all right? And you could be so busy that it's actually destructive. You could be so busy that it's toxic, right? And what that did is my fibroids tripled in size. So okay. look at that, how it, how it reflects in any area of your life. So that's what I say about that self-care. That's a very important part. I love that you're using words like self-care. You're talking about stress. Like even in the language that you're using, I can connect to this. I can say, yeah, I get stressed out. And that could be impacting my body and certain things. But I think the language around fertility in mainstream media and when you're sitting in front of your doctor is really confusing. It is. It's really confusing. And it's, I think part of that confusion is very frustrating and then adds to the stress and then they're telling you to not stress and then mm. you get confused and then you get more stressed. So how do you talk to women who have had trouble or are on this fertility journey every single day? How are you talking to them and, and what is that language that we should be using and that language that you use to help women? Love that question. So the first question Chelsea said is, do you want to be a mother, right? Okay. So if you want to, because your self-care and loving yourself and caring yourself is because you love you, right? That's non-negotiable, loving yourself and being healthy for yourself. Now you want, you're saying, I want to take the step where I want to add to my family. And there are so many layers to that because we're not told when we go to the GYN and we are most fertile in our 20s, right? We have a pap smear. They check us for STDs and other complications but they don't actually talk to us about our fertility, right? They don't say, okay, do you want to have children? Let's check your, like, checking your fertility. They don't say, let's check your AMH level and your FSH level. So we want to know, like, the very first thing is, let's find out what's going on in this body because knowledge is power. And I don't know what to do if I don't know what's going on. And in order to advocate and create a plan, I got to know what's going on in my body. And so the AMH is the anti-malarian hormone, which is one of the strongest indicators of your egg reserve. Most women, they have no idea because they're never asked to take these tests. And what we're saying is let us be empower our sister network, our sisterhood and say, oh, you need to know this. Just like 
you need to ask for an ultrasound. That should be part of your regular gynecological care. If you have any kind of indicator that, wait a minute, I'm having a heavy period. And then, oh, that's just normal. No, 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 it's not normal. I know that now. So let's dismiss and actually now put to bed this idea that I'm supposed to have an irregular period and it's just normal. Okay, that's number one. Number two is let's find out by asking for the tests and make that normal. Let's make knowledge, the power of that normal. So once you find that out, then it's, okay, you know what? You want to have a child. You know those numbers. Let's look at, okay, you know when you're ovulating. To me, I would say work with a fertility specialist if you're having any issues specifically where you're having unprotected sex and you're not able to conceive because there may be factors. Mm. The coaching is really important on my end because when we look at the trauma, the things that are causing them to really have that radical, remember what I said, inflammatory response, we have to make changes. Because in order for us to center our healing, we have to let go of some things, all right? That, that means, I always say, if you're going to center your healing, you got a number one thing, you got to decide what you're going to pause and what you're going to stop. Because in order to start something, you got to make room for it. You got to make room for blessings. You got to make room for it. I love what you're saying so much about this idea of just basically restructuring the way that we that we view what is right and what isn't right for our bodies. And there are a lot of misconceptions floating around and you're teaching us so much about fertility and what causes infertility. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about like, what are some of the misconceptions around, you know, women who have had abortions or women who have had miscarriages or PCOS when planning for having kids? A lot of times, because we haven't been diagnosed and we don't know, when, when I'm talking to the PCOS part, you don't know what's causing that hormone imbalance, right? So we had a woman who came and she, and PCOS and then diabetes go hand in hand because it causes insulin resistance. It can lead to insulin resistance. And because we live in a, a treatment model of our healthcare system, not a cure model. Mm. And, and what that means is it's all about putting Band-Aids on it's not about reversing the condition. Now, what we really help women do is let's look at what's at the root here. And again, like I said, with Black women, the stressors are always at the root, always. And when you look back, everything from trauma as in their childhood, the way they learned how to process stress, the way everybody was always yelling at each other in the home, the way that they dealt with things. That's why we have a free food list to help equip women to know what foods are inflammatory, what foods are anti-inflammatory. So putting them on that plan helps them now to understand a lot of women don't know that the fibroids can cause miscarriage, right? Mm-hmm. That they can actually have a miscarriage because of their placenta. They're having an issue with their placenta. And also their progesterone levels can be too low, not allowing them to actually carry the pregnancy. And this is why for me, I have this, this acronym, which is listen to your bay. And listen to your bay is your body, your advocates, and your experts, okay? Mm. And your body is telling you something. Right. And we have to listen to like listen to what our body is saying. Right. Like I said, going back to what is my period saying to me? Right. What are my like, am I walking around with my chest is tight? Like, what is my body telling me? And unfortunately, like I was saying, I actually when I did conceive that first IVF, I actually miscarried 10 weeks later. And there was literally it's called a missed abortion. We didn't, they, they just said that the, the heartbeat stopped. What I want to say the women that deal with this is that you have been a mom. You are a mom. And let's not dismiss the experience that you did have, all right? 
and allowing yourself the support that you need to grieve that. Because I remember when I experienced that, how literally devastating it was. Like I literally looked in the mirror and I felt like I didn't know who I was looking at. And it wasn't because I was defined by motherhood, right? It wasn't this, uh, who am I if I'm not a mother? Because some people are dealing with this, this self-sabotage. But it wasn't mm-hmm. that. It was just that, that loss. It, that loss was a, it was a real, it was a breaking point. And I want to speak to women who are dealing with this to let them know that love yourself first by giving yourself the time and the space to grieve and also making sure that the people in your circle are supporting you in the process of the grieving that you need to do in order to get to the other side of that healing. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel the same way about abortion. You don't know what that woman has done. You don't know why she did it. And it's not any of your business, really. At the end of the day, that's her decision. You're not living in her life. You have no heaven or hell to put her in or keep her out of, period, right? And the end is really allowing her to process where she is so that she can heal. That's beautiful. That's so true. And I feel like the resources you were talking about having your bay, that was amazing. That was a really good acronym. Thank you. But you sound, you and your company sound like a really great resource for women who are struggling with infertility. But I want to know about more than you, because I know you can't reach everybody. So what are some financial hacks, you know, for reproductive planning? Um, I know you said it on The Breakfast Club that um, when you walk into a fertility clinic, all you see is pictures of white people. And we're, we as Black people are not really on the front lines of infertility and we're not in the conversation. So what advice can you share on that? Good question. You know, being earners of 61 cents on the dollar, it totally puts us in a different bracket of that conversation, Right. right? And the number one thing is, I always say, reclaiming your power is understanding that you choose your destiny, okay? So it doesn't, it's like, (laughs) I'll go back to Shirley. They don't give you a seat at the table, you bring a folding chair, right? So what does that have to do with fertility? That means that, you know, in my case, I was really blessed that we had to pay for it out of pocket. Mm. Again, I went on to have five IVFs, Mm. okay? Because after that failed one, we had others. And every time it was either fibroid surgery or an IVF cycle because the IVF treatment was actually causing the fibroids to come back. So I went on to have more surgeries and more IVF. But for women who, in like egg, I have to go into egg freezing, right? And okay. though egg freezing is like the first part of IVF. It's what you do to preserve your fertility. And if I can, I'm going to go into that because of the cost associated with it, Maya, okay? Mm-hmm. So... When you're 20, in your 20s, your fertility is literally optimal. It is like the highest, the most fertile we are. However, in our 20s now, you were looking at, yeah, where, where am I on the career path in terms of what I'm building, right? My yep. business, my vision, all these things. Because we have to, in order to build a family, it takes a lot on our bodies. It takes a lot on us as people, right? So when we look at how we now build that because the thing about it is what egg freezing does is it allows you to freeze your fertility in time at the time you are right now. So let's say I'm 25 and I'm very, very fertile and I freeze my eggs now. When I need to use them later to conceive, if I'm not able to conceive regularly, naturally meaning in the vision that I have for my life. Now, the reason that's important because after you're in your 30s, 
your numbers drop significantly, your egg reserve, right? Because with women, we're born with a certain number of eggs. That's very different than men. They have rejuvenated sperm all the time. Us, we're born with our millions of eggs and then they, you know, every year we lose eggs. Well, not every year, every month we lose eggs. But the point is after our 30s, our number significantly drops, okay? And that's very important for us to know. So you would say, okay, I'm not ready. But you know what? I recommend to every woman who's, who wants to have a family one day, who wants to, when I say who wants to expand their family one day to have children, I highly recommend you consider if you're not in the space and time where you're at doing it now to freeze your eggs. Why? Because it gives you options. Make your money work for you. Options. Now, where your money is an issue, I say this. When I say reclaim your power, you know what? I love Kelly Stewart is an actress who's in the film Eggs Over Easy, which I was, you know, very privileged to be a part of. It was such a powerful educational conversation on all the facets of fertility from, you know, miscarriage, surrogacy, everything and egg freezing. And she talked about it. She said, it's like $10,000 for the process. All right. And I said, IVF is like 15, 20. What she said is that I encourage women who may say, well, I don't have just $10,000 to freeze my eggs right now, right? Mm -hmm. But one thing I do know is sisters know how to support one another. You could have a bridal shower or a baby shower and you would have gifts crazy. She said, have an egg shower, right? Have an egg shower where, you know, for my birthday, I want to freeze my eggs. And that means here's my cash app or here's my fund me or here's my, you know, here's my Zelle because that's what we're doing this year. This is the gift I'm giving myself is preserving my fertility so that when I'm ready to build my family, I have that ready for me. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. And I think also like a lot of what you're saying is, is stripping away the like, because we, we talked about this a little bit in the roundtable, the like shame, right? And like the, the silence of feeling like I have to suffer through this alone. Like no one else sort of understands, you know, whether it's infertility or again, like whatever your situation is or whether you decide you don't want to have kids, it can feel like you are in a glass case of emotion, like by yourself. And to your point, like that's kind of on purpose, right? Like Absolutely. that is, this process is isolating and dehumanizing in a lot of ways, especially for Black women. So I, what I do love about what you're saying about just like bringing this into the your day-to-day reality, right? Like, okay, like if you're spending, you know, hundreds of dollars on things, thinking about this in the same way that you invest in yourself, your apartment, your clothes, you know, whatever that is, like this, consider this a sound investment in your future. And I think that that reorientation also just helps us to like slough away some of that like feeling that we are the only ones going through this or that we should be ashamed of our own bodies because we shouldn't. No, and you know what I love about that is removing the shame is, my my husband says, you tell all your business. I said, because I'm removing the shame. I want them to know they're not alone. You know, when my story came out and it went viral, it was because people were like, oh my God, somebody's talking about what I'm going through. Holy cow, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one going through this, you know? And we say, when I go back to, you know, there's the investment in your future. And that's why I say your healthy foods, your food is your medicine. Can we talk about that? How mm. we'll spend all of this on, you know, on material things, but not on the foods that are literally nourishing and healing or hurting our bodies every day, right? So when we say that, that's an investment in my future and my, the healthy food is an investment in my today for my future mm. to be healthy, right? So it's about reframing that whole concept of what, again, radical self-care looks like. 
But the idea that I may not, some people may not want to have children and that's okay. Not, oh, one day you'll come that, where you are right now. I support you where you are right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Let period. There's nothing else that needs to follow that period. Right. Oh, you want, you, you wanted to freeze your eggs. Okay. W- let's look at it. That's what your community needs to look like. Remember what I said, that bay? It's your advocates. Your advocates, that's your tribe. This is why I'm like, look, I, put me in your tribe, please, because I'm here to support you, to give you the love, to give you the truth, to give you the, the, the support that you need, to let you know I'm team Chelsea, team Stephanie, team Kathleen, team Maya. We're going to do this. What are we doing? Let's go. Mm-hmm. I know that's right. Yeah. yeah, I know. You would fit right in on our team because that, what I say, we are like ride or die like that. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Who said something? Let's go. <laughs> Let's ride. And I think that that's so important when you're, we're having these conversations, again, out loud, on purpose, and openly. On purpose. On you know? purpose. Yes. That, I feel like, is something that, again, when we think about, like, choice, and fertility, that like the choice that you're making, like you said, wherever you are, that should be the answer. End of sentence. <laughs> Can we speak to the fact that also there are people who, you know, there are women are there in the, these relationships. That's the other part, Kathleen, you asked me about. You know, I say to, for women who are like, I want to have a baby, I say, okay, now I want you to think about this. Have you removed the boxes on the way you think it needs to happen? Ooh, okay. no. Ooh, <laughs> right. No. So that's really important. We have to think out the box because I have women who are like, you know, I want to adopt. But my husband's like, if we don't have it naturally, I said, well, y'all need to have a real conversation about that. Because the truth is, I don't want to be 10, 20 years down the road. I'm like, I didn't have a child because there was I was thinking it only could happen one way. Mm. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There are sometimes adoption. There are babies that have your name on it. They're waiting for you to love and care for them. All right. And when you look at a non-negotiable, that's why I say to my sisters, have non-negotiable conversations in your dating. Okay. Don't wait till you getting married or you're in a, a, a long-term monogamous relationship. Hello. Non, non-negotiables are what does family look like to you? Mm. What does the relationship look like support to you? What does co- success of the two of us look like to you? Because when we go back to that stress, that goes back to it as well. Remember, <laughs> that goes back to the toxic relationships. We, but we have to first love ourselves enough that we are willing to stand up for and stand in our truth. Stand in the truth of who we say we are going to be and declare we're going to live out to be. And that means, hey, if, if I, when I look back at my life and my legacy, I, I want to have had a child. Let me tell you something. Whether you had it through surrogacy, adoption, donor egg or sperm, whatever it is, when you're having that, you're taking care of that child, you're not going to look back and say, oh, but only if I had been pregnant, though. No, you're going to be like, this miracle right here <laughs> is worth everything. Everything. So I want us to think about that, right? What's the non-negotiable? Because if he's not or she, if y'all are not on the same page in that relationship, don't, don't settle for that, okay? Don't settle because your vision, your destiny, it's your choice. All right. Oh, okay. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I'm like sweating. That was I just I just felt like you were talking to me. Literally. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Coach Jesse. This has been so lovely just to even hear your story and just your perspective on this, you know, not only from a technical medical, but also just as a Black woman, because I don't think we talk about this enough with each other. Again, I'm going to have to Google half of these words, but I will be Googling them because we need to know this. Because like Mm -hmm. we said, like, you don't know what you don't know. So I think like these conversations are so, so important. You know, the other thing that's crazy is that as Black women, this is something that I don't know if you know, but I had a brain aneurysm in 2020. And actually our podcast, Detox Living um, with Angela Yee, it was born out of this you would never think how it was born, right? Like surprising. It was like, I actually had a brain aneurysm that was brought on by unchecked high blood pressure. And I share this because you ladies are young and beautiful, but more than 50% of black women over 20 years old have high blood pressure and don't know it. Okay. And many don't know it. All right. And It was during the pandemic and I'm a health coach. I'm living it. But literally, you know what the triple pandemic did for us, right? The economic, the financial, the racial pandemic, right? It was the the trauma was so many levels. And here I was, you know, I I, I wasn't feeling right, but I I knew I couldn't go to the hospital because they had refrigerators with bodies in them in New York. Okay. And here I was, I knew something was wrong and I was diagnosed with a brain aneurysm. And Angela E. FaceTimed me in the hospital. And, I, and where it was, it was on my left temporal lobe. And it actually was a, over my speech area, all right? Which means that I wouldn't have been able to speak if it ruptured, okay? And it was a significant large brain aneurysm. And she said to me, I said to her when I was telling her this, she said, oh, no, 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 no. You, we have too much work to do. No, no, no. We need to do like a a podcast, a show or something. Right. And that literally, it was birthed years plus later. And it was that moment that birthed it because I said, you know what? There are too many of our sisters who are, who are suffering from these health issues and don't know it. Mm. And for us as black women, I want us to be equipped. I want us to be educated, you know, and these leading contributors are why? Because We don't know too many of us don't know our numbers and we don't monitor them at home. All right. And because it is the number one killer of black women, you know, literally I partnered with the Release the Pressure Coalition is made up of the American Medical Association, American Heart Association and others. And it's really important to give away BP cups and equip women to know their numbers and what they mean. All right. Because I'm not leaving my sisters out there. No sisters left behind. Understood? Now, can we get those BP cups at Target? Like, where where do they sell them at? On my website, we're doing, actually, they can buy them anywhere, but we're doing a giveaway. So on my website at thedetoxnow.com for the giveaway for a number of women all over the country. Love it. Education, my sisters, please. Education, 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 choice. And you got to make sure you know who you're listening to, because some people are saying some stuff out there that's not real. So well, make sure that, your tribe, now you're saying something, you know? Make sure your tribe <laughs> is right. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Coach Jesse. You've just like dropped so many gems. And I think so many people, you know, not only on this roundtable, just like needed to hear this, needed to know this, that they are not alone and that it might be confusing. It might be weird, but we are going to get through this together because we got our bays. Okay. We're not, we're not doing anything that doesn't make sense for us this year. And we're just sh- moving forward with power, with choice, with education, with that knowledge of our bodies so that we can continue to love on them. And if that includes expanding it, great. If it doesn't, live your life and get that tell far. Okay. The Go Off This Podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Rashad Isaac, Crystal Devone, Jordan Mason, and me, Chelsea Sanders. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Kathleen Newman-Bermang, Maya Carmichael, and Stephanie Long. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram, at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Money world.